punched Keanu in the face. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I should ask Pete if he can do that as our outro music. I'll punch Keanu in the face. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wild and wonderful world of streaming rom-coms and teen cinema. I am your co-host, Martha Sullivan, uh, library management, wine expert, and currently uh, bathed in as much horror as I can consume for the spookiest of spooky months. Uh, And I am joined, as always, by my co-host... Uh, I'm Marin Hagman, uh, adult services librarian, uh, rom-com and romance novel enthusiast, um, and have yet to get into my my spooky phase. Um, I, yeah, I need to get on that. Now, I know that horror is not your most favorite of genres, but I feel like at this point there is a lot of sort of horror-adjacent material out there in the world, like things that use spooky ideas or spooky tropes but doesn't actually cross the line into horror. Um, what kinds of stuff do you like to enjoy in October? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. I would totally agree. Um, I do definitely have a fondness for films such as um, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, like that kind of vibe. Um, I do like a, um, I do like a mystery. I am a, a big okay. fan of, of the mystery genre. Um, so Pete and I have been starting a little Hitchcock rewatch so we rewatched vertigo the other night um and i'm going to we're gonna do a like double feature of we're waiting for the new netflix rebecca to come out because undoubtedly will not be as good as the hitchcock one so we're gonna watch that and then the hitchcock one i mean it is it does have army hammer in it it does have Army Hammer and Lily James, and I do believe they will have very good chemistry. I'm also here for Kristen Scott Thomas as Mrs. Danvers. I think that's A-plus casting. Um, who else? I feel like there's one other dude who's in it that I'm like, oh, yeah, him. Like, the best scumbum of British period drama. Who am I thinking? Is it Jack Houston? Who's going to play, like, the weird cousin? Oh, no, Sam Riley. Another excellent British period drama scumbum. <laughs> I really like that phrase. Thank you. Scum, scumbum. Yeah, yeah. He was a very scumbummy-ish Mr. Darcy in Prime Predators and Zombies. So the fact that you are a Sleepy Hollow fan is very interesting to me because I find that movie to be very, very spooky. Are you a haunting of watcher on netflix i am not i think that crosses the threshold for me i think sleepy hollow kind of got grandfathered in because i watched it so young that i knew what was gonna happen uh okay so i i'm okay with that because i know whose heads are all coming off uh sure i and i have been known to watch like a a more tense movie if i like read the wikipedia summary first so i kind of like know what to expect um Mm -hmm. but yeah i think it also like 
Sleepy Hollow has those few moments of violence, but, like, it's largely atmospheric. Um, and I don't mind a tense atmosphere. Like, I like, um, I like mysteries. I like thrillers. Um, I just, what I don't like is gore. Uh, okay. And I feel like a lot of, like, for example, this is why I've never seen, like, Saw or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, just because I... Sure. I would have a a hard time with the gore. So I'm like, okay, as long as, like, the gore is kept to a minimum. I'm okay with tense. I will will say, and I I am not going to evangelize this too hard because I think people should enjoy the things that they want to enjoy. The new season, um, The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix. I've heard it's, like, turn of the screw-esque. It is, it is, that is the main source of inspiration. And then it also draws on a lot of James's other work. It is also a love story in a lot of different ways. Okay. Main, the main themes that they are exploring in this season are the ways in which love can not only be toxic and horrifying, but also like the good parts. (laughs) So it's. It's all the ways that love and obsession and romance can influence and affect people um, and the ways it can go wrong, but also the ways in which it can, you know, be lovely and right. So just just putting that out there. Um, yeah, I might I might be able to get in that one. I think Hill House seems just like a shade too intense for me. Oh yeah, it is definitely. Um, I don't know if you listened to this episode of Did You Do Your Homework that we filmed or that we recorded last year. Um, Mark, Pete's brother, and I got into a fight over whether um, The Haunting of Hill House counted as horror. And he wanted to say that it didn't. (coughs) And I was like, you're insane. It's a ghost story. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, So they are scary. Like, there are ghosts in them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of very tense and anxiety-induced atmosphere. Um, No gore. Okay. No gore. Okay. I can can often straddle that line. Um, Yeah, some... There are a few things that I'm like, nope, that would give me nightmares. But, like, I I refuse to watch any Ari Aster film. Like, I'm just not ever gonna do that. Um, That's fair. Even though I I know the gore is kind of minimal, I still... Nope, I I have to I kind of just want you to read like an essay about Midsummer. <laughs> oh, I've read, I've read several. Um, I have, I have as a as a Scandinavian American. I uh, certainly, I was like, huh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think there are things. I think there are themes about it that you would enjoy. I cannot honestly say that I think you would enjoy it, the movie. It's as a viewing experience. I Pete has said if he just like tells me to look away for like three strategic scenes, I might do okay. But I'm like, mm-hmm. like, yeah. But yeah, so I like I like my like atmospheric like Sleepy Hollow, sure. Crimson Peak. Yes, I'm here for that. Yes, Crimson Peak. Um, yes, I that is where that is my house right now. Um, excellent. I'm Do not a decor. Huge... Are you a Halloween decorer? I was actually just about to say I'm not a huge Halloween person. I just really love horror, and now is the time of year when it's socially acceptable <laughs> to be very <laughs> horror. 
Could you do like a, you know how like some people, okay, maybe this is just me because I like throughout my high school was a volunteer uh, vacation Bible school teacher, but we always did this like Christmas in July thing, which I think is like weirdly a thing. Um, I wonder if you could do like, what's up? It definitely is on the Hallmark channel. Okay. Okay. Um, I feel like you could like do a like. October and April, you know, like bring make yes. a mini spooky season. I love it. Uh, today, however, we are talking about something very, very different. Uh, we're going to leave the the spooky stuff for our next episode, I think, um, and spend this episode talking about 2019's uh, Netflix release, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Always Be My Maybe. Uh, Always Be My Maybe was written by Ali, Ali Wong and Randall Park and directed by Nanachka Khan. It stars Ali Wong as Sasha Tran, Randall Park as Marcus, eh, Marcus Kim. I don't know what my voice just did there. <laughs> um, uh, Daniel Day Kim as Brandon, Keanu Reeves as himself, and a bunch of <laughs> other really wonderful uh Really wonder, really wonderful actors and actresses. I don't think there is a single white person of note in this cast. Yeah, I don't think uh, so. Ex- oh, except for Casey Wilson, who plays the restaurant manager, I think. Interior decorator. She's working with Ali Wong to open her San Francisco oh, restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but she otherwise, has that beautiful scene with the chairs. <laughs> Yes. Uh, So Always Be My Maybe is a romantic comedy about Sasha and Marcus, who are childhood friends turned very briefly lovers um, as uh, late teens. Uh, They have sort of a disastrous encounter right after Marcus's mother dies, which drives a very large wedge between them. Uh, The two go on to live or to grow into adults apart. Sasha becomes a celebrity chef who opens a series of restaurants uh, in big name cities across America while Marcus stays home with his dad and helps his dad with his um, just like a handyman. Is it company or AC? Yeah, I feel like it is AC. I feel like they're specifically like heating and ac installation yeah i could have if they did plumbing too Eh. yeah um playing with his band and generally kind of uh not really going anywhere uh they reunite when sasha moves back to san francisco to open her most recent restaurant uh and start up a well so first um they reconnect as friends um and then go on a very strange double date with Marcus's partner Jenny and Keanu Reeves, who Sasha meets at a Netflix rap party. Um, a confrontation <laughs> between Keanu and Marcus uh, makes both of them kind of, or forces both of them to confront their feelings for each other. Uh, they start up a relationship again, which hits the rocks when Marcus uh, realizes that. Sasha is not going to stay in San Francisco, that she is in fact moving on to New York to open her next restaurant. 
And uh, Sasha gets mad when Marcus won't even consider coming with her because she thinks he could be doing a lot more in his life. She goes to New York to open her new restaurant, and Marcus eventually uh, decides that on some levels she is right and that he could be doing more and flies out to meet her on at the opening event, or no, at an awards ceremony where she is receiving a James Beard-esque award um, for like the year's most influential chef. Uh, he gives her a big, beautiful, romantic speech. They reunite on the red carpet. And end the movie uh, figuring out what the rest of their lives are going to look like. Yeah. Together. Yeah. That was <laughs> uh, did I leave anything important out? Uh, I think the only through line uh, to mention is that Marcus's mom um, was Sasha's inspiration for becoming a chef. Um, and so um, at the end, we see that the restaurant she opens in New York was inspired by Marcus's mom's re- recipes. There is so much in this movie that I love that is both a send up and also a love letter to food culture. Um, One of the one of the things that Marcus and Sasha fight about is that he gets really mad that at the this kind of upscale um, like hot cuisine culture that involves a lot of like foams and (laughs) deconstructed Caesar salads. (laughs) Which he rightfully says is ridiculous um, and points out that like Asian fusion just means that it's Asian food for white people, for white rich people. And the the movie does this really lovely thing where I think it points out how ridiculous a lot of this like insane, like insanely expensive and exclusionary food culture is while also being very... um kind of respectful and loving towards the act of cooking itself. Like Sasha is clearly opening these very trendy restaurants in order to cater to rich white people. But by the end of the movie, it felt clear to me that she was doing so, so that she could open the kind of restaurant that she actually wanted to open, which serves recipes that are all um, that she learned from Marcus's mother. Yeah. That was a lot of words. <laughs> that all makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely all made sense. Um, yeah, and I think too, like part of what's so good and incisive about the scene where they go on a double date with Keanu Reeves and Marcus's girlfriend Jenny is, you know, they kind of make fun of that um culture of just experimenting with food for the sake of experimenting um and i love there's a moment after like that whole scene is over kind of at the end of that sequence where marcus is like i'm what's funny is i'm still hungry like we just went to this like multiple thousands of dollars meal and i'm still hungry (laughs) um which i thought was just What's Sorry. That? No, keep finish your oh, thought. Yeah, which I just thought was like such a great incisive like food doesn't need to be an experiment. Food just needs to be good and like bring people together. One of the um rom-com related aspects of this movie that I love so much is that 
both Sasha and Marcus get to be wrong and right about different things. Mm. And because Marcus is definitely a dick about some of the food stuff. Like, yeah, they go to they go to an opening party, I think. And every time somebody offers him an hors d'oeuvre, he's like, I would rather set myself on fire. And I'm like, some of them sounded really good. Like, <laughs> What are you talking about? Um, And also, like. In that moment, I was kind of like, regardless of how you feel, this is your girlfriend's life. So why are you being a jerk? Yeah, and I, I I like that, yeah, the movie is not afraid to both say, like, yeah, this, like, ex- experimental food is ridiculous and, and getting away from, like, what good food is. Um, well, yeah, also being like, yeah, Marcus, like, stop being a jerk about the fact that your, like, your girlfriend is a famous chef and, like, that means cooking some complicated things sometimes, like... And accepting awards from fancy, like, organizations. Um, yeah. yeah I, think what I'm trying to, I think what I'm trying to say is I think the movie did a really good job of threading the line between kind of making fun of this food scene, but also being pretty respectful towards it. Sure. Because Sasha is also clearly very good at being a chef. Like no matter how one might feel about how she is using Asian cooking traditions, like clearly people like her food. So, well, I think the movie gives us enough glimpses into the success of the restaurant. She has, I think it's in LA before she moves back to San Francisco. Um, and then also like, there's a scene where he goes back to her restaurant that she opened in San Francisco. And like, you see people like, sitting there and enjoying it so it's never like castigating her for inserting herself into that dining culture um it is clearly showing us that like people are getting something that there's a place for that and that people are getting something out of it and I mean, mm-hmm. by something i mean delicious food um Oh, God. I'm I would eat at every single one of her restaurants. I know, right? God, I'm going to get hungry over the course of this episode. Um, and, but also, like, at the end, you know, showing us that there's a place for cuisine that isn't part of that, like, hope cuisine, edgy food culture. That, like, like, there can be a spectrum. And, like, obviously it pokes fun at that restaurant they go to with Keanu Reeves that's, like, on the very far ridiculous end of one spectrum. Um, yeah. Like, her her home her home cooking restaurant at the end still has a line, like, out the corner and around the block. And part of that is be- probably because she's famous. But part of that is also going to be because the food is probably really good. Right. And really comforting. Yeah, and I I do like, I'm glad you brought this up, because, yeah, I do like that the movie shows that there is a place for both. Like, it's not, you're never seeing her, like, give up on her fancier restaurants, and I think it's, along with San Francisco, I think the one she starts out in is L.A., in L.A., um... Like, it's never showing us, like, oh, I've got to close those down because they're not authentic, you know? It's just saying, oh, here's something else I want to do and I want to add. Um, And I I think that's a really good 
balance. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and did you notice that when she makes, when she cooks for herself, when she is the only one in the room, her dinner has like 16 different components that are all beautifully plated and like clearly very lovingly handcrafted. Yeah, like, I love that scene where she, Marcus comes in and like the brief kind of montage of we get of them actually dating. And yeah, like she's like using a fancy like herb for or like herb uh, scissors and like, yeah, is like plating it beautifully. And how, so in the vein of. I, I do think that this movie lets both of its um, leads be both wrong and right, um, or right and wrong at different moments. Um, I thought that Sasha's criticisms of Marcus about how he could be doing more, how he could be more like ambitious or pursuing his goals or whatever, I thought that was valid, but I also thought that he was valid when he says, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And I I thought that that was an interesting tension to kind of play off because the movie sort of depends on um, I don't know where that thought was going. (laughs) Um, Well, actually, so I know where that thought was going. I just started it badly. Rom-coms usually depend on one of the characters who is normally the woman having to either give up or change something in order to make her life work with the romantic lead. And I enjoyed the fact that what Marcus basically has to do is kind of accept the fact that he wants more out of his life, but not really. Mostly he just has to accept the fact that it's okay that Sasha wanted more from her life and be okay with that. Well, I th- I think what he really has to accept is that his dad doesn't need him as a caretaker anymore. That is th- also true. And that he can be... Because I, I think part of what he was not allowing himself to imagine different things for himself because he felt like his dad needed him and that he needed to like stay in the same apartment with his dad and work for him so that... You know, he could kind of keep an eye on him. So I I think what the movie really needs him to let go of is caretaking of his dad. Um, Kind of what his life looks like absent that driving purpose. Exactly, exactly. And I think I appreciate that we see, you know, his band has some success, um, but it's not like an overnight sensation or anything. I like that we kind of see, like, his band climb, like, half a rung up the, like, local music ladder. Yes. Uh, And, um, I think, yeah, but I, I, I think that's all centered in, like, he does not need to make every decision based on the belief that he needs to be with his dad as much as possible. And, and I think that's liberating for him. Um, but yeah, I also like that the movie is not, oh, well, now he's going to become a rock star or, like, become, you know, it, it's not asking him to completely upend. Um, and although I guess, like, we never know, like, what he actually ends up doing when he moves to New York. But, um, yeah, I like <laughs> 
I, I like that scene near the end where he goes to, is it Brooks Brothers or Armani? I think it's Armani. Oh, it's Tom Ford. Oh, Tom Ford. Never mind. Because Keanu Reeves is wearing a bespoke Tom Ford suit earlier in the movie. I I love that scene where he, like, goes to Tom Ford, is like, bleep it. There you go. Pete, you don't have to bleep it out. Um, (laughs) I'm going to buy this suit. And then the salesperson's like, yeah, so that's going to be $12,000. And then it just... (laughs) champagne all over the mirror <laughs> and then he spurs champagne over the mirror hard cut to him like yep. in a department store being like all right two hundred dollars they're not even he's not even in a department store he's in suits and stuff oh yeah that's that's right <laughs> um i love that and i think that's like indicative of like the journey the movie has him go on like it or it's kind of like making fun of that like he doesn't need to be keanu reeves he doesn't need to like the movie does not need for him, and I feel like a lot of other, like, movies, rom-coms about a fictional celebrity, they, like, ask that celebrity's partner to become, like, do something else kind of famous, or, like, I think there's a lot of movies of, like, someone is famous, and they fall in love with someone who is on the rise to fame, or... Mm-hmm. you know burnt out of fame or something but yeah i just like that the movie like settles on like yeah he tries this one big grand gesture spending twelve thousand dollars at tom ford and then it's like no i'm gonna spend 250 dollars at suits and stuff like that's who i am um, well and honestly then he has to buy a plane ticket to new york so like it's still a pretty big gesture absolutely but yeah i i like that the movie does not ask him to become someone totally different no it just it asks him to consider who it asks him to consider what he wants in absence of this thing he thought he needed to be doing and doesn't actually right oh god and i just love we haven't gotten to talk about his dad yet but his dad is one of the best characters oh i yes I love Mr. Kim so much. Mr. Kim is so great. Uh, yes. Oh, so good. I also, I just love movies that let old people have relationships and, like, show that older people, you know, still have sex and, like, still feel desire and have fun and, you know, play around like that. Yeah, and, like, Showing that, yeah, he's still got a life to live, like, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, you know, obviously he's been through a terrible tragedy, like, losing his wife yet very young, but, yeah, he, you know, he still has a life to live. And it, like, yeah, it lets him be a person rather than a, like, wise arch stereotype or something. I also love that just everybody loves Mr. Kim. He is everybody's dad. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So good. Um, well, Can speaking we just talk- oh. oh, sorry. Were you going to talk about Sasha's parents? I was going to talk about Sasha's parents. All right, let's talk about Sasha's parents. Let's talk about Sasha's parents. Whoa. Yeah, I, I like that. So the arc there is that she feels they were neglectful growing up. 
Um, and that in some ways Marcus's, specifically Marcus's mom, was kind of more of a parent to her. Um, and I like that the journey they go on is, you know, her parents really trying to show her that they do care. Um, showing her by, is it getting a taxi from the airport? Like, I know it's paying a tip. Like, they go to a restaurant and they tip, which is like a big gesture They go to her. They go to her restaurant and they don't tell anyone that they're her parents, so they have to pay full price for everything on the menu. Yeah. That's it. Which, at that point in the movie, I honestly gasped. Like, their through line through the whole thing has been, like, never pay for anything unnecessarily, don't tip, I've got a guy who'll drive you from the airport, don't get a cab, we got airline vouchers so we could come out and meet you. And then when they're like, nope, we went to your restaurant and we didn't show them any family pictures and we paid full price just like regular people, was like, oh, oh my goodness, Mr. and Mrs. Tran. Yeah, Yeah, and I thought that was a really sweet, like, way for them to show. Yeah, and I like, too, how it felt realistic of, like, you know, she's not like estranged from them in any formal sense but just like they're not close and yeah i kind of like that it showed you know they're really trying to bridge that gap um and yeah i thought that was a really sweet like through line to you know contrast with like marcus almost being in some ways like overly close and dependent on his dad like that was a good contrast Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to decide how I feel about the fact that we don't really get, we only really get um, Sasha and her parents' relationship from Sasha's point of view, but I also don't know that it matters that we get it from her parents' side. Like, I think at this point in the story, what matters is that they're clearly trying to build a bridge with her. Whether or not they feel like they should have to. Um. Yeah, and I I think they give a... I mean, it's only, like, a moment. I don't know if they could be more. But, like, they do have a moment where they were like, yeah, like, we're sorry. Like, we worked a lot. Like, we did, you know, we were really trying to make a life that was good for you. And so, yeah, we weren't home a lot. Um. So I I think it was good they gave them that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we could have maybe used a little more insight into how they saw it. Um, but I I did like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the important thing is like we see them trying to make that bridge and reach out and you know reestablish a relationship. Yeah, however that looks however that looks to them. Um I think that I could talk for a solid six hours about Ali Wong's fashion choices in this movie. Oh yeah. Every single one of them is perfect. Um I loved all of her glasses. I love that she got to wear glasses <laughs> and that it wasn't the same pair in every scene because clearly Sasha is a character who cares very deeply about um, how she dresses, the the appearance she puts on. And I don't say that as a bad thing, but like every 
you know, every capital L look she has has its own pair of glasses to go with it. And I just loved that detail. Yeah, and I, I loved that, like, clearly, as a celebrity chef, like, yeah, she prioritizes, like, having good outfits and having lots of different pairs of glasses to accessorize them with. Um, yeah. Well, and apparently, um, having her character wear glasses, um, was a very conscious choice, um, by Wong. Like, she only wears glasses in her regular life, and when she was developing this movie, um, she said that it was important uh, like she and the costume designer felt that it was important for her character to be wearing glasses and also be a like very sexy, like clearly a very attractive woman. Um, so frequently in like it, the, the scene of the, the girl getting the makeover and taking off her glasses to be suddenly beautiful is a very tired trope. And I enjoyed this, like, it's not even a subversion. It's like a very conscious prodding of that, mm-hmm. uh, of that idea. Yeah. And I think it's too, it's nice that, yeah, it's not like it's a through line throughout the whole movie. It's not something that we see change. Um, and that, yeah, but it's just, she wears glasses. And... Just, yeah. They're another accessory for yeah. her. Yeah. And I believe, I'm trying to find the quote that verifies this, I believe that all of the glasses she wears, or at least most of them, in the movie are hers. Oh, okay. I believe that that's true. They just always, I love a bold frame. Me too. (laughs) I'm like starting to get sick of my glasses. And, like, now with COVID, it's like, oh, how much do I risk going to the optometrist? I actually, I went in June because I couldn't see well enough to drive at night anymore. Oh, no. um, I really like getting glasses that have a little detail on the um, stems. Mm. The ones that I have now are sort of a tortoise shell, um, white and gray at the bridge, and then... Um, like a brown and red tortoise shell around the edges. Nice. Sorry, now I'm just looking at my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I also, I like a statement glass, a statement frame. <laughs> Me too. I am, I currently rocking the clear frames, um, which have been great in terms of, you know, they're very neutral. They, but yeah, I think I'm ready for a little more statement frame. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see when I get over my, like, oh, COVID. Go to a town trust. <laughs> How did we feel about the chemistry between Ali Wong and Randall Park? Uh, it was good. Yeah, I think I could have done with a little more time of them actually dating. Um, but I think you definitely believe the build up. Um, I I do think in some ways this movie does rest a little bit on the 
the chemistry you see with them as teens, like those first couple scenes. Oh, for sure. Like you can really see that they're, oh, they are into each other um, as teenagers. And, and so some of it, I, w- I would have liked more time of Marcus not dating that other girl and like a little more time of us just seeing them straight up date. Um, yeah, Jenny was a gag that got old real fast. Yeah, and, and that is like uh, like other woman slash other man is like one of my least favorite tropes. Um, and honestly, I think they could have just done away with her character entirely. Like, I don't think she really added anything. Uh, no, I think she mostly exists so that they can go out on that double date with Keanu Reeves. Right, exactly. Um, because it's not even like she's like a barrier to him and Sasha dating. It's like she stays with Keanu Reeves. Oh, okay, I guess we're broken up now, and Sasha and I are gonna get together. Like, it's not even a oh, I'm into Sasha, but like I'm with Jenny. Whoops, like there's not like the movie does not focus on that at all. Yeah, um. So yeah, honestly, I think if they had given us, because you there was that moment where the the farmers market where you kind of sense that Marcus is gonna bring up the fact that they're possibly into each other before she announces that she has met who turns out to be Keanu Reeves, and yeah, and I think that scene would have worked a lot better like if Jenny just hadn't been in the picture like. Because it's, yeah, it's, like, disrespectful to her that they just kind of forgot about her in that equation. Yeah, although I do think they mentioned earlier that they have an open relationship. Oh, okay. I guess I missed that. Yeah, I think the scene where they have dinner the first time and Jenny's like, I'm going to cook for you. And it's that horrible Vienna sausage rice thing. Um. I believe I believe it is specified at that point that they have sort of an open-ended arrangement. Okay. But still, he's also straight about to tell Sasha that he's in love with her, which is a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I I think that build-up would have been better if like that had just not been part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, because I think knowing the romantic history, like we totally believe, oh, you guys are getting back to the place that you were when you were eighteen and into each other. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I think the movie could have like done away with Jenny and drawn that out a little more. Um and I mean, yeah, because then it, it just, like, kind of comes to a head quickly, I guess, is really what I'm getting at. Like, it's like, the movie does some build-up, and then, like, boom, all right, they're together, cool. Um, and I think, yeah, it could have either spent some more time with them together before they put, like, the roadblock of Marcus not wanting to leave, or, yeah, not had Jenny... If they weren't really going to do that as a barrier to them getting together toward near the end. It's sorry. This is all coming off very critical. I don't mean it to be. Um, I guess this is all a roundabout way of saying I really enjoy the scenes when they're teenagers and like are clearly horny for each other. And I wish we had more of that. (laughs) 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I think as their adult selves, um, their friendship chemistry is really, really lovely. Um, I don't always super enjoy sex scenes as a rule, just because I have personal problems. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed their banter. And the last scene when Marcus has his arm around her was just very, very heartwarming and lovely. Oh, yeah. So sweet. Oh, I'm just remembering that moment, like, right after they have sex the first time. And he, and did you realize that he called this an uber pool? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So good. <laughs> I, I kind of do enjoy when actors play douchey versions of themselves <laughs> in movies. I hope that Keanu Reeves had fun making this. I do, too. I do too. I got to assume he did. Like I just, I don't think there's any way he couldn't have had fun. <laughs> um, it just reminds me of uh, was it two broke? Or no, don't attru- don't trust the. I always get two broke girls and don't trust the B in apartment twenty three mixed up. But it kind of reminded me of don't. What's that? With James Vanderbeek. Yep, exactly. It it kind of remind. I just love that like. James Vanderbeek parody of playing himself. Like, uh, it's such a good when done well, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Anything else that we want to talk about with Always Be My Maybe? Besides just playing the gif of Keanu Reeves going, whoa, over and over. <laughs> please eat, please order Chinese food when you watch <laughs> this movie. Oh, yeah. Or, sorry, that was, um, order, order your favorite kind of Asian food out of the myriad of different choices that there are in the world. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoy watching this movie while eating, uh, dumplings myself. Oh, that's that's an excellent choice. Excellent choice. Well, Martha, clearly this is one we both enjoyed, but what what would be a supplemental material you would recommend for those who so also I enjoy thought, this movie? I thought about this a lot. Um and my my choice for uh extra reading for our audience is not not the same kind of story. Um but it is about um it's it's not the same kind of story, but it is about parental expectations and self expectations and figuring out what one wants. Uh, the main character in this book reminded me actually a lot of Marcus, um, just in that she kind of has to figure out who she is and what she wants in absence of the thing that she thought she was supposed to do. Uh, the book is called American Panda by Gloria Chow and is about a 17 year old. Taiwanese girl named May, who is a freshman at MIT. She got in early admission um, and is on track to fulfill all of her per- all of her parents' dreams for her to become a doctor and marry a pre-approved Taiwanese Ivy League boy and produce a litter of Taiwanese babies. Uh, the only problem is that May is uh, very, very OCD, can't stand germs, and really, really prefers dancing to her bio classes. Um, 
it is a lovely read about, like I said, uh, identity, figuring out what you want, um, and kind of dealing with that gap that forms when you decide that you don't have to settle for what you thought your expectations were and how to kind of overcome that to get and be the person that you want to be. Plus it has a very cute cover. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That is very cute. Uh, how about you, Marin? What would you recommend for our audience? Um, so I would recommend, and I believe I've recommended the first in this series before, um, but now I'm going to go ahead and recommend the second. Um, and it's called Wrong to Need You um, by Alicia Rye. Um, and going with kind of the, like, best friends who reconnect um, as adults theme um, is about Jackson and Sadia, um, who were best friends, um, but Jackson uh, fled when he was commit, uh, accused of a crime he didn't commit, um, and Nadia went on to marry his brother. Um, his brother has since passed away, um, and ten years after he left, um, Jackson returns, um, and we found out part of his motivation for fleeing was he didn't want to see the woman he loves marrying his brother, um, and has been secretly in love with Sadia for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, it's about them, like, reconnecting, um, and Sadia, I think, is a really, um, great character. She is, you know, re has rebuilt her life. Oh, she's also a chef. That's another connection, too. She is a chef. She runs a so. restaurant. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's a, um, yeah, it's kind of about how they both, like, rebuild their lives, and it's, it's on the, like, I would say more emotional, angsty side of the romance novel, and certainly way more emotional and angsty than Always Be My Baby, um, but it explores some of those similar tropes and themes, um, and I think it does it really well. Uh, so yeah, Wrong to Need You by Alicia Rye. Uh, and my pick is American Panda by Gloria Chow. Our next movie uh, is going to be something spooky that Pete will insert here <laughs> after we make a final decision. After we uh -huh. decide if uh, Scream is too scary for Mark. <laughs> Hey, this is uh, Pete here. They did decide that Scream was too scary for Marin, and by they I mean Marin. So the movie that Martha and Marin are watching on the next episode of Love Ya is going to be Hocus Pocus. A little bit out of the wheelhouse, but hey, it's Halloween. And it's 2020. Why not? Um, so, yeah, by the time this episode is released, we will know what we are doing uh, for that Wednesday before Halloween. Uh, in the meantime, you can always listen to our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework?, which releases on alternate Wednesdays from this uh, from this show on the same feed. Uh, you can follow us on our shared social media at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, and you can follow me on social media at Magical Martha. Uh, my Twitter feed has recently gone private since I'm a boss now. Uh, <laughs> but... If you request to follow me and you don't work for me, there's a very good chance that I will approve your request. Uh, Marin, where can people follow you? Um, people can follow me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I tweet a lot about uh, romance novels and maps and the state of Minnesota. 
Uh, you can also follow me at my newsletter, tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. I am currently working on a fairly large project. We'll cover a couple of issues uh, wherein I cover the 100 scariest moments in movies from 2010 until now. Uh, Bravo did the 100 scariest movie moments as a uh, five episode miniseries anthology special back in 2004, I believe. Uh, with follow-ups in 2008 and 2009. One of those is wrong. I don't remember which one. But the last one came out in 2009. Uh, it's my favorite TV special that I've ever watched. It used to be part of my regular October uh, tradition until Bravo stopped airing it as reruns. If it existed as a box set, I would buy it. I have a problem. <laughs> um, but I decided that this year I was going to, because Bravo has never released another sequel... I was going to take it into my own hands and make my own list. So if that is of interest to you, uh, sign up for my newsletter. What do you, and, and you could say this off, off air if you'd like, sure. what, what do you count as the scariest moment? Oh, I'm, um, I'm grouping them by year of release because oh, I did okay. ranking them. So I am, I'm up to 75, I think. Oh, wow. I've been soliciting other people, um, other people's opinions and doing a lot of research because I have not watched all of these movies. Um, I, yeah, there's a lot of horror out there that I've never seen. Um, I, I put in my personal scariest movie moments, but this is definitely a crowdsourced list. Um, and yeah, I have 75, although a couple of them are just placeholders because they are movies I want to include that I haven't, uh, pin down a single scene for yet gotcha um but yeah tell pete that he should tell me what his scariest movie moments are okay i can put them on the list i will pass that along um i think that's everything if we are missing anything pete will put it in as a coda i'm sure um <laughs> you can listen to us on apple podcasts um soundcloud stitcher spotify wherever you are listening to us right now um uh yeah i think i just ran out of brain power so <laughs> if i'm missing anything make sure to make fun of me and then put it in after this um thank you marin as ever and uh we will see you all in two weeks and until then just remember that we love ya. Hello, hello, hello. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I hit John Wick and now I'm feeling so appealing. Basically, I'm a god. You could call me Hercules. Best believe I punched Keanu Reeves and it was better than any scene you could see in speed. I'm telling you for real, I punched Neo. He could duck bullets, but he couldn't duck me. Yeah.